0: Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. And Dr. Scripture, in several previous programs now, we've been considering what happened during and after the mock trial between creation and evolution that you participated in there at Northern Kentucky University, October of 2008. Mm -hmm. But what we've been learning relates to a lot more than just the results of the mock trial itself.
1: Well, that's right, Scott. Uh, The goal of the evolutionary side in that mock trial was to prevent the school teacher from presenting anything in the classroom that criticized or contradicted evolution. And what we've been learning is that there seems to be a prevailing attitude in the media and virtually all of
0: academia that any public challenge to evolution needs to be silenced. And now you've mentioned this a few times already, but that attempt at censorship is what the movie Expelled is all about. And people haven't seen this or they really do need to see it.
1: Yeah, they they really should. It's been out for about a year now. It's easy to rent. And uh, you'll see what we're talking about. That movie did an excellent job, an entertaining job as Mm -hmm. well, by the way. Ben Stein. um, Of exposing this phenomenon in our society. But Expelled is definitely not the only source that verifies the kind of intolerance and discrimination against creationists or even believers in intelligent design in America today. Let me tell you about a new book written by Dr. Jerry Bergman. That's spelled B E R. G M A N, B E R G M A N, Dr. Jerry Bergman. He published just last year in 2008. And in this book, he documents an extensive, really amazing amount of this kind of discrimination that's going on. The book is titled Slaughter of the Dissidents. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that he's saying that people are actually being (laughs) killed yet. But the title (laughs) of the book is Slaughter of the Dissidents. And the subtitle is The Shocking Truth About. Killing the Careers of Darwin Doubters. And this book is almost 400 pages long. So it's not your exactly, you know, fireside, uh, curl (laughs) up and read type of stuff, but it really is well done. And if you're interested at all in getting well-documented information about this kind of activity, I highly recommend uh, Dr. Bergman's book, Slaughter of the Dissidents. But let me tell you about another time when some of uh, Dr. Bergman's work actually had a big impact on my life many years ago when I was considering getting my doctorate in biology or some other life science degree, I came across a book titled The Criterion. And this was written by Dr. Jerry Bergman way back in 1984. And as I was reading through it, it made me realize that I better not try and get a PhD in biology because of the kind of discrimination that took place, especially within Mm. that particular field. So because of his book, the criterion, I actually then realized that I better get a degree maybe in something like biochemistry, where I could Mm -hmm. study biology type stuff, but not be in a biology department. And so I got my degree in biochemistry. And that was actually in the chemistry department in Notre Dame. And uh, I want to share with you some of the citations in that book, the criterion, which really got my attention. In his book, The Criterion, he quotes sources from all over literature, but I'm going to read something from The Skeptical Inquirer, Volume 8, 1983. The article was entitled, Competency and Controversy, Issues and Ethics on the University-slash-Pseudoscience-Battlefield. Now, what do you think pseudoscience is going to refer to, Scott? Could it be creation? Yeah, creation right. science, of course. Here's a quote from this article. Does a university professor have a right, even deed, an obligation to fail a science student whose statements demonstrate such basic misunderstandings of the subject matter as to imply incompetency, even if the student happened to have passed the formal course tests. John W. Patterson feels strongly that he does. He furthermore feels universities should strongly support their faculty in implementing such a policy. Says Patterson, quote, if a faculty member observes a spectacular display of incompetence whether in class or out, he should no more pass that student than should a quality control engineer, at GM, pass along engine blocks after observing gaping cracks in them. This is not an abstract educational issue. It is one of deep concern to Patterson, professor of materials science and engineering at Iowa State University. Go on reading from this article. He reports that professors in the life sciences have given stamps of approval that is passing grades and diplomas (laughs) to students who have publicly rejected the idea that biological evolution has occurred. Uh, I'll continue to read from the article. He called such cases spectacularly embarrassing. You know, Scott, we've heard this before, Mm -hmm. the embarrassment, the damage that this kind of thing does, allowing a creationist and intelligent designer to voice even any kind of opinion other than evolution. He says, these cases are spectacularly embarrassing and he said that they could eventually ruin the university's credibility. He goes on to say this, quote, I suggest that every professor should reserve the right to fail any student in his class, no matter what the grade record indicates, whenever basic misunderstandings of a certain magnitude are discovered. Moreover, I would propose retracting grades and possibly even degrees if such gross misunderstandings are publicly espoused after passing the course or being graduated.
0: Dr. John Patterson, that name sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, I've had a run in with him before, Scott. Um, he was the one who had called up Notre Dame and essentially was trying to get me removed from the <laughs> Notre Dame when I was doing my PhD there. Well, he's consistent. He found out that I was a creationist, yeah. So, what we're seeing from the mock trial and the expelled movie and various books being published is that there is a concerted effort in our society to silence any dissent from or criticism of the theory of evolution.
0: Now, one of the things that I've noticed, Dr. Scripture, even in this very series that we've been doing, is that evolutionists criticize people with different opinions, whether they be young earth creationists or just the broader, you know, intelligent design people, but they don't seem to defend their opinion with evidence or solid scientific arguments.
1: Yeah, that's pretty uh, common in these discussions, Scott. And it seems like one of the things that evolutionists frequently do to defend their position is to simply belittle anyone who has a different opinion you know, name calling and things like that. There were several examples of this during the mock trial, Mm -hmm. but let me share just one example that occurred when the lawyer for the creation side asked a question of Mr. Kagan during his cross-examination. Now what the defense lawyer was attempting to do was defend the teacher who was simply teaching her students some evidence that challenged evolution. And he was trying to pin Mr. Kagan down to, uh, say that, you know, he really was unwilling to even allow any kind of evidence, no matter what the source, for creation or intelligent design to be offered, even if all it was doing was contradicting or challenging a little bit of evolutionary uh, dogma. This was the question that the lawyer actually asked, quote, do you think there is anything that scientists have learned since 1859 that in any way would call into question anything about Darwin's theory of evolution. So, you know, if anything has been challenged in the past, he's sort of saying, but you won't allow anything <laughs> even today to challenge Darwin's theory. Since the days of Darwin. Well, here was Kagan's response. I think everything science has learned merely goes to show the validity of what Darwin was onto. Darwin had a lot of questions he didn't understand that have been filled in by later research and true
0: science not the fruitcake fringe of the religious right. So Mr. Kagan's intellectual approach to this debate is to label and call people names. Yeah. How do you handle this, Dr. Scripture?
1: Well, I don't like being called names. And of course, even earlier, we had seen that He basically referred to uh, myself as not a true scientist because uh, I didn't know how to, you know, Mm -hmm. interpret the evidence properly. If you remember from a previous program, but uh, Dr. Barton knew how to interpret six tenths (laughs) of a millimeter (laughs) of a longer mouse leg as a bat wing. Yes. That is correct interpretation, Scott. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, (laughs) But anyway, I don't like being called names, but, you know, there is a sense in which it's almost a privilege to be called a name or to be Mm -hmm. made fun of if it's for Jesus' sake. And there are plenty of opportunities, of course, not just in the arena of creation versus evolution, but just for all believers in our daily life. And so I want to read a few things from Scripture to encourage us in this area. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 7 and 8 say this, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man neither be dismayed Mm. at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation to all generations. And then a little further down in Isaiah 51, verse 12, it says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, Mm. and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor, as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? So the Lord is encouraging us that, uh, yeah, we're going to be reproached, we're going to be mocked, but we should not be afraid of them. Their end is described there as, it's sort of grim, you know, the grubs and the moths Mm -hmm. are going to eat them. And we need to remember that we are standing before our maker someday. And we'll be asked to give an account, you know, how did we handle his word? Did we indeed name his name, even in the face of persecution?
0: You know, I'm reminded of Jesus' speech, the Beatitudes, we call them now. And one of the last ones was, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me.
1: Yeah, that's a real privilege. It's not easy I don't like it when somebody says I'm a fruitcake, you know, and, and things like that, and that <laughs> I'm not really a scientist. But actually, we need to consider the source and indeed consider it a privilege. Let me um, end with one more New Testament passage, as you've referred to the Beatitudes, Scott. This is in the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13, starting at verse 12. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus and the way he was disgraced. Of course, he was disgraced by bearing our sins on the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Let me stop there and remind ourselves, you know, a lot of times we we do things and we say things to just make things comfortable as though this is our home. And here the author to the Hebrews is saying, wait a minute, we're looking for a city that's going to last and uh, we shouldn't be doing things that basically have as its goal, making things comfortable here and now. So in verse 15 of Hebrews 13, it says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. That's a powerful exhortation to us. You know, we can sacrifice to God and we can do things for the Lord's sake, but here it is specifically talking about a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips. We need to not be afraid to speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we need to be talking about the Bible and the things that the Bible has to say, whether it's about creation. You know, listener, you may not have opportunity to get into a discussion about creation versus evolution. That, you know, is something (laughs) that I have opportunity to do. But there are all kinds of opportunities day to day with the people that we rub shoulders with to speak Christ. It's important to do this, live a good example, but not just live that good example, but with our lips, speak the name of Christ, speak what the Bible says. Here it says, through him, let us offer up continually a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.